0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: The Her Money Podcast is supported by Edelman Financial Engines. Edelman knows that wealth isn't just about money. It's about everything money enables you to do. So how do you build wealth? Join me and award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien for a new show. Everyday Wealth presented by Edelman Financial Engines. Visit everydaywealth.com slash her money to learn more. Hey everyone, I'm Jean Chatsky. Welcome to a very, very special episode of the Her Money Podcast. As you just heard, Her money has a new sponsor, and we could not think of a better moment to introduce you to them than on our 300th episode in our very first episode of the new year. Edelman Financial Engines, for those of you who are not familiar, was founded on the belief that all investors, not just the wealthy, deserve access to personal, comprehensive financial planning and investment advice. And today, they're America's top independent financial planning and investment advisory firm. They have more than 150 offices and more than 1.3 million clients around the country. And Not only have Edelman and I teamed up for the podcast, as you just heard, we will be working together as part of a new weekly radio show called Everyday Wealth, which I'll be hosting alongside my friend Soledad O'Brien, who I have known for, let's just say, a minute. Each week, she and I are going to dive into the current events and the financials impacting your wallets. We'll be joined by Edelman Planners and other experts to talk about how you can build wealth, how you can take control of your financial potential. Our first episode launched this week. It's available in 75 markets across the country, including New York, Boston, Chicago, Los Angeles, and it's also available wherever you get your podcasts. And if I sound like I'm excited, it's because I'm really excited. And speaking of podcasts, we have an anniversary to celebrate. Yes, it's our first episode of 2022, but it also happens to be number 300 in this amazing Her Money journey that we've all been on since 2016. And today, more than anything else, I want our listeners to know that this episode goes out to all of you. We literally could not have reached this milestone without all of you tuning in every single week. You are the reason for everything we produce at hermoney.com, our Her Money newsletters, and here on the podcast. And in keeping with that, when Catherine and I began to discuss what kind of a show we might want to do for this important episode, the answer was immediately clear to us. We wanted you. We wanted to do a special mailbag edition where you, our listeners, could call in and ask me your questions directly. And so that's what we've done. In the next few minutes, you'll hear me talking to four very special Her Money listeners who wanted to bring their mailbag questions to life in their own voices here with us today. I can't wait to dive in, but let me just say, I really liked this. I had so much fun doing this. I want to do it again and again, and so... If you want to get live with me and Catherine, please, when you send us your mailbag questions, just let us know, hey, I want to be on the air with you, and we are going to do our very best to make that happen. Our first listener joining us today, I'm so excited about this, by the way, our first listener is Megan. Megan, welcome. Where are you calling from? Thank you. I am in Oklahoma City, Jean. I love it. I have been to Oklahoma City, although not for quite some time because I haven't been anywhere for quite some time. You should try it again. It's improved a lot. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad. Well, let me know what's going on in your life and how I can help.
2: Yeah, thank you, Jean. So I wrote my question down because there are just so many moving parts. So bear with me as I outline this for you.
1: Yeah, that's totally fine.
2: So I am 36. My husband is 39. And even though I'm a personal finance nerd myself, we have found ourselves in a circumstance that we could really use some advice on. We're newly married. There's a second go-around for each of us, so we're both coming from the angle of financial wreckage that is a divorce. We are looking to grow our family in the new year, and our many financial priorities feel overwhelming. There's just a lot of competing priorities happening. We bring a combined six figures in student debt into the marriage, but we're both public servants and working toward public service loan forgiveness. Mine will be paid off soon thanks to TPSLF eligibility. His will be paid off in about 10 years. We are both lucky to have competitive retirement packages through our employers where we are both maxing our employer matches. I'm on track for retirement and plan to work for a long time. He is starting from scratch and needs to play some catch up especially since we are not planning on any social security income. We have about $55,000 in consumer debt from our divorces and subsequent rebuilding, moves, travel. We have about $2,000 in savings, $1,000 earmarked for emergencies, and $1,000 set aside for a new car, which he will be needing very soon. We're considering something humble, family-friendly, reliable, like maybe a Honda Civic, perhaps a hybrid. But we worry that our debt-to-income ratio puts us at a disadvantage and will require a large down payment. A glimmer of good news, we do own our home, and while we have yet to reach 20% equity, our property value continues to rise, and our remaining mortgage balance is manageable and modest it's under 130 k With many hopes for our future, we're struggling to focus on where to aim our efforts first, Do we aggressively pay down debt? Do we focus on building savings? Do we work on playing catch up on retirement? We're just feeling overwhelmed by all of these competing priorities. And the numbers just make me feel like we can't win.
1: Your expertise would be deeply appreciated, Jean. Oh, my goodness. Well, there's so much good here. I don't want you to stress out, but I get it on the competing priorities. And I get it on rebounding from a divorce because I have been there. So let me ask you a couple of just follow-up questions before we dive in and try to untangle this. You said that you bring a combined six figures in debt into the marriage, but what about income? What are you sort of looking at on a monthly basis that's not allocated to your mortgage, your car, your other things? What's the free amount of money that we're working with each month?
2: Let's see. It's around $1,200 a month in
1: variable expenses and flexible. Okay. And before you hit that 1200 are you both contributing to retirement? Yes. Great. When you said you're not counting on social security income. Is that because you don't believe in social security or because you're teachers and you think you're not going to get any?
2: So I'm actually a librarian. He works for the state as a chemist. I've just heard too many negative things. We're being led to believe that this is not a reliable, sustainable resource we can count on.
1: Okay. Because there's some people who are in state retirement plans where they know they're not getting Social Security, but that's not you guys. For the record, I disagree with you. Okay. I think there will be some social security coming. I don't know if it's going to be the full amount that you see on your social security statements if you're checking on that. If we're being conservative, I might give it a 25% haircut. But let's just put that to the side for now. The consumer debt. Tell me about that and about your overall credit pictures. What kind of interest rates are we looking at?
2: Sure. So as far as the consumer debt goes, it's a fun party mix of personal loans and credit card debt. The highest interest rate we're talking about is 22.99%, but that's obviously the priority to pay off. Down on the lower end of that range, we have 14.24%. And again, that's a mix of credit cards and personal loans.
1: All right. And how are your credit
2: scores? His is better than mine at this point. <laughs> he is in the the
1: solid 700s and I'm hovering around 700s. All right. So here's what I'm thinking. And I don't think you're going to be surprised about this. You really want to wail on that high interest rate credit card debt. But before you do that, you should be looking to Lower the interest rates if you can. And with your credit scores, you may be able to lower the interest rate. He may be especially able, if any of those cards are in his name alone, to just transfer a balance or request a lower interest rate. That sometimes works, doesn't always, but picking up the phone and calling the credit card companies and just asking for a lower interest rate may help you get out of this debt faster. I assume because you're both working toward public service loan forgiveness that you're both on income-based repayment at this point?
2: Yes. So we're not currently paying, obviously, but that's going to happen again soon. And I am, once January hits and we're in repayment, I expect to be at the 10-year mark. So we're just waiting for the paperwork to process on mine
1: being forgiven. All right. That's great. And then he'll be on income-based repayment? That's correct. Once he goes back into repayment, is his student loan bill going to make a big dent in your monthly budget? It'll be in the neighborhood of $300 a month. Okay. All right. When we talk about competing priorities like this, we try to get the biggest bang for our buck in terms of a return on our money. And You're going to get the biggest bang for your buck in matching dollars from your retirement. So you want to make sure that you're grabbing the matching dollars in both cases and then in paying off these high interest rate debts. And we try to lower the interest rates as much as we possibly can before just putting all of our extra money toward the highest interest rate, which I can tell you know because of the way that you phrased this sort of debt ladder that you've got. I'd love to see you boost the savings a little bit, particularly for that new car. And when you get into the market for the new car, make it a used car, even with the used car, situation in the country right now, I think you're probably still going to get a better deal by buying used. But you shouldn't have to be worried about the interest rate on that loan. I think based on your credit scores, it's a little bit of a fallacy that People with debt can't get good interest rates. If your credit score is decent, you can get a fairly good interest rate. So once you're heading into the market for that, you probably just want him to apply because his score is higher. Go to a credit union, see what you can lock down in terms of a good rate on a used auto loan and take it from there. But I would just make the consumer debt the focus. Once you're through that, then you can try to boost your emergency savings, boost your retirement contributions, and you'll be fine, especially once you get these student loans off your plate. Yes, we're grateful that that's coming down the pike. Does that make sense? It
2: does. Yeah, I just think looking at all of these things and feeling like we have to do them all at
1: once has been sort of paralyzing. It can make a lot of sense to just bucket them. You know, I mean, it's nice that you've been able to get on the public service loan forgiveness train. You've put those in a corner. You've been living your life, right? You bought a house. I mean, that is a huge accomplishment. So I would just order of operations here. Consumer debt, if you get a tax refund, throw it against the consumer debt, boost the savings a little bit if you have any extra money coming in, leave retirement where it is. And once you're through these other challenges, then you can focus on retirement.
2: Are we crazy for wanting to expand our family with all of this going on?
1: (laughs) No, I don't think so. I really don't because you've got a plan. You're working on a plan. As long as you've got, you know, good health insurance, which I'm sure as public servants you do, and you've got a plan for handling the childcare expenses, I would go ahead. I mean, my mother always says to us that if she and my father waited to have kids until they could have afforded them, none of us ever would have been born. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. But keep us posted. Let us know how it's going and how you're doing. And I'm really glad to hear a positive public service loan forgiveness story. That system was so troubled for so long that just knowing you're about to get out from under is fantastic. Yes. It's great news. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for the call. Thank you, Jean.
2: I appreciate your
1: time. Absolutely. Our next caller is Janine. Hey, Janine, where am I getting you from today? Hi, Jean. It's great to be with you. I am calling in from Hoboken, New Jersey. Awesome. Right around the corner for me. Tell me just a little bit about you and what's your question?
0: I work in financial services in Manhattan, and I've been here living in this area for over 15 years. I've made it my home, and when I'm not working, I like to keep a healthy lifestyle, cooking and exercising, and I do a lot of reading as well.
1: Sounds amazing.
0: So I have a question for you that I would appreciate your great guidance on so that I don't make a potentially costly mistake. A few years ago, my company's thrift savings plan changed our investment options. At that time, if employees did not take action, our existing retirement savings in the plan were transferred to a target dated fund um, that was based on our age. And so at the time, I think I let inertia kind of keep my existing holdings in that assigned target dated fund, which is a 50-50 fund. It's based on when I'll turn 65 years old. I'm currently 37. But this target dated fund has grown since then. It's currently worth 400000 which is approximately 80% of my thrift savings plan. But I will note that at the time that this change occurred I did change my future contributions to an asset allocation of various equity funds and I'm currently investing uh, my TSP contributions into a Roth 401k So Jean, I don't love the target dated funds since they only consider time to retirement as opposed to also considering market conditions. And so with that being said, I would like to transfer the retirement funds that are currently in the target dated fund into an allocation of stock funds that are offered by my company's plan. So my question is, when is the best time to do this transfer? Is it better to do it Kind of now in the current market where it's on the higher end, meaning that I'd be selling the target date fund at high prices, but also reinvesting them at high prices. So it kind of washes out or I could wait for the market prices also to go down since I haven't added any new money to the target dated fund since it was transferred. So I may not incur a loss other than the earnings and then I could buy the new shares at a lower price.
1: Hmm. Okay. So let me ask you a couple of questions overall. First of all, the money that you have in the target date fund, in the portion of the target date fund, you mentioned that it has grown. How's it done for you overall? What kind of an annual return are you getting on that money?
0: Overall, I think, because right now the investment mix is majority of equities and it's about 7% in bonds and cash. So right now, The mix has been okay, but I know that in a couple years, I can see that it's going to start to, as it automatically does, it will start to reallocate more towards the bond portion of the funds.
1: And do you want to make this change because you don't want that to happen? Are you a more aggressive investor than this target date fund is allowing you to be? I think in the
0: future, I will be on the more aggressive side because I have a lot of time still on my side. And so I feel like I can take a little bit more risk than what the fund will allow. And I think it's also important to consider the market conditions
1: as well. Well, so let me just sort of back away from that, too. Target date funds do consider market conditions. They consider things like inflation and they consider what's going on in the market. They may not be as actively managed as some other funds, but it's a misnomer to say that they don't consider them at all. But what I'm hearing from you is that you may want to be a more active manager of your own money. You may want to be thinking about things like the market conditions. You may want to be picking particular investments on your own. That's all Fine, it's great if you want to be an active investor. The problem that most people have, and the reason that so many companies have made target date funds the default, is that even individuals who say they will rebalance their investments get caught up in the same sort of inertia that you described at the very beginning of your question, right? We think we're going to rebalance, but things are going so swimmingly, right? The markets are doing so well that it makes it really hard for us to sell at these high prices and plow money back into bonds, into fixed income, even when that is the right thing to do. And target date funds, they keep us honest. Now, One of the things that you didn't mention was the cost of the target date fund as opposed to those other stock investments. If the other stock investments are index funds, they're going to cost you less than being in a target date fund, and that may provide greater return to your portfolio over the next few decades. So that's something to consider as well. But the other thing to just consider is your emotional fortitude your ability to, as you age, make the right call to take a little bit of money off the table, to take a little bit less risk. It's something that we all have to do as we close in on any goal. And one way that some people have sort of gamed the system is to take the money out of the 2050 fund And move it to a 2055 fund or a 2060 fund that's going to force you to be a little more aggressive because it puts you on a glide path for somebody a little bit younger than you. But you can also just pick your own mix. You can put your money into a managed portfolio if your Thrift Savings Plan offers that option. Or you can go it alone. As far as the other part of your question, when to make the change, I don't really think it matters. You don't have any sort of a taxable event here. And when we think about that, that's sort of usually the big consideration. As far as selling when the market is high versus selling after the market has pulled back, you're largely in stocks. Right now, it doesn't sound to me that you are going to change that in any big way right now. What you're doing is kind of reasserting control over your mix. And so I don't think it matters. I think you could do it pretty much whenever you want.
0: Okay, that's great. And that's helpful. And I guess a second part, a follow-up question would be, is whether it would make sense if I wanted to do this and think that I can keep to the schedule. I will say that I know I let inertia kind of keep me here, but since that time, I think I've taken much more control over my finances and looking at them and kind of like staying on top. But I understand that in you know 30 years <laughs> the situation might be different but if i did want to continue this and move the target date fund either into like a further dated fund or into a mix of stocks, is it better to break it up and to do it into smaller chunks over time or does it make a difference in then just to do it all at once
1: so target dates are built to be one and done solutions mm-hmm. When people put money into a target date fund at a 401k, not everybody does this correctly, but you're meant to put all your money in there because it provides you with automatic asset allocation. And there's a lot of research that shows that asset allocation is the factor that's responsible for your investment success. It's not so much the investments that you put in the buckets of stocks and bonds and cash. It's the percentages of stocks and bonds and cash to begin with. So I would say do it all at once because you're, by taking some money out of the target date and putting it into a different mix of stocks and bonds, you've already kind of messed up that asset allocation. And you want to build an asset allocation that works from the get go, right? I'm not saying that it's the perfect asset allocation. And we know that there are some target date funds that are better than others. You can see that when we look at the returns. But if you're building an asset allocation from scratch, you want to build one that you believe is going to work for you for the long term and that you can then go in and adjust as needed.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And doing it all at once, obviously, will make it easier <laughs> in terms of managing a transaction. Yeah, that's helpful. And it does give me, I think, some food for thought to think about as I think about what options to take here.
1: So You know, look, it sounds like you are on the right track. When we look at things like our asset allocation and when we look at the factors that contribute to our investment success, number one on the list is how much you save right? You got to try to get that savings percentage up to 15%, including those matching dollars. Number two is asset allocation, and number three is stock selection. And so as long as you build an asset allocation that works, I think you're going to do just fine. But keep us posted. Let us know what you decide.
0: I will. I will do that. Thank you so much for your time and your advice. Absolutely. Thanks so much for being part of our 300th episode. Congratulations on the three hundredth episode.
1: Thank you so much, Janine. And before we meet our next caller, I want to remind everyone that her money is sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. I hope you'll join me and award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien for a brand new show, Everyday Wealth, presented by Edelman Financial Engines. Tune in to explore how your financial decisions can shape your life and why wealth is about more than just money. Experienced wealth planners and financial professionals will join us to talk tax-efficient investing, planning for the next generation, retirement, and so much more because it's your money and you need to make the most of it. New episodes premiere each weekend and will be available on major podcast platforms as well as on 75 radio stations nationwide. Visit everydaywealth.com slash hermoney to learn more and subscribe. Suzanne's our next caller. She's coming in from the Midwest. Hey, Suzanne. Good
3: morning. It's a treat to meet you both.
1: Oh, it's so nice to meet you as well. You're in St. Louis, right?
3: I am on a cold, frosty morning.
1: Love it. Love it. Well, we haven't had the first frost here yet, but as a born and raised Midwesterner, I'm just waiting for it. There's talk that we may actually have some snow this year, which would be fantastic. How can I help you? Tell me a little bit about you and what's going on in your life and what your question is. Great.
3: So you've had several recent podcasts about how to go about arranging for a financial advisor, which I have never had. I think I meet all of the criteria that you laid out for low complexity. <laughs> I am very straightforward situation. My aim is taking care of uh, things in retirement. I've read your books for years. I saw you in Money Magazine back in the day. So I follow the rules, right? I have the emerg- I have the cash and emergency fund. I have the Roth. I have a 401k. And, you know, And that's pretty much it. Most of that is in target funds. There's some debris. It's, you know, it's not perfectly nice and neat, um, like it, you know, like it could be, but most of it is in target funds and, you know, it's pretty straightforward. You had talked about though, as you get closer, you know, as retirement starts being a little more tangible, when you look down the road, that there still could be some benefits from checking in with someone, maybe where you pay the hourly rate. So you had that great example where you actually crunched the numbers. So as I was doing that, I realized, though, I don't actually know what assets under management means if everything is in IRA and 401k with the cash emergency fund. Like, I don't even know how that would work.
1: This is such a good question because most people, actually... This is most and many. I don't know if I've ever discussed this on the podcast, but I have a real problem with the words most and many because most is a fact, right? You say most, you're over 50%. You say many, you mean a lot. And I have to catch myself sometimes. Many people are in the same situation that you're in. They have the bulk of their assets in a company retirement plan. And when we talk about financial planners who are quote-unquote wealth managers. They tend to operate under this AUM, as you put it, Assets Under Management Model. And what that means is that they manage your money. Your money is with them. They charge you 1%-ish of the balance for managing it. If your money's in a 401k, it's not going to be warehoused with them. It's not going to be in their coffers. They could give you advice on how to manage it, and they could charge you 1% for that. But that may be more than you want to pay. It's a lot more than, than I think a lot of people would want to pay. And so the way that many of them like to bring assets in is that If you open accounts outside of retirement, they can help you manage those. And at the point that you do retire, you'll roll the money into an IRA that will typically be warehoused with them. For now, I'm wondering, who manages your retirement plan?
3: Um, Vanguard.
1: So you have access to a financial advisor. You can pick up the phone. You can call Vanguard. You can talk to somebody. Vanguard also has a menu of services that you can pay for at less than 1%, as many retirement plan firms do, if you want some additional advice, if you want some additional handholding. And a lot of firms have structures like this. There's some advice that you can certainly get for no cost at all. And that's where I would start. I would pick up the phone, I would talk to somebody, I would ask them to give you a look-see, look at your portfolio, see if you're on track to meet your goals, see if they'll do some modeling for you to show you what things look like as you head out into the future. If you want more, if you want a you know more comprehensive analysis than they're willing to provide, ask them what services they offer and what it would cost, and then compare that to the cost of an advisor who works by the hour. The way to find these advisors who work hourly is by tapping into a network called the Garrett Planning Network, G-A-R-R-E-T-T. They have a pretty big database of advisors who are willing to work by the hour. And I think, you know, with a combination of the two, you should be good to go.
3: That's fantastic. Okay, that's very helpful. Thank you.
1: Yeah, no worries at all. There's so many different models and some, there's no one size fits all. So I think you'll be able to fairly quickly get a grip on what works for you. But good for you for stepping up and saying, I know I'm 10 years out and I want to make sure that I've got my ducks in a row.
3: Exactly. I appreciate that. I love your phrase. I think it was in your Women With Money book of don't meddle. (laughs) Um, And I have generally follow that advice. Can I ask another
1: question? You can ask anything you want. So,
3: the podcast has been just fascinating, very diverse, like, you know, all kinds of different scenarios and different speakers. One of the things I sometimes struggle with is that, you know, I'm listening to you in the car when I'm out for a walk, and sometimes there are actionable items. I think, oh, right. I want to check into that, uh, this thing Jean is talking about. Uh, Should I change to the 401k Roth, right? Oh, I need to look into long-term care insurance whatsoever. And as you will not be shocked to hear, since there is no deadline for those (laughs) actions, many of them kind of end up in this sort of vague to-do list someday. And then sometimes when I am wanting to move forward, I have trouble accessing the specific guidance that you had given. I almost need a way to have an index for Jean, <laughs> a table of guidance where I could quickly say, what did she say about the Roth uh, 401k versus, you know, the pros and cons versus, or, or, or whatever the issue is. So I don't know if you have guidance about that. I don't think I'm the only one who things happen when there is a
1: deadline. No question. And I, and I would say, you know the advice that people give you about your dreams when you're sleeping, that if you want to remember them, you just make a note by your bedside table? Now, I don't want you writing when you're in the car, if you're listening in the car, but you could use your voice memo on your phone, right? Just to, you know, send Suzanne a note to put a date on the calendar by which to do this. I find if I schedule things, I mean, I schedule exercise on the days when I know that it's going to be really, really tough to get it done. I will block out, you know, Jean is going for a run and that way it actually happens. And so if you schedule it in your calendar, maybe along with... Just a notation about this was the podcast that aired on a particular date, or this was the podcast number 243, right, so that you can, you know, about mailbag. So you know it was in the mailbag section, you know that you want to go back to it in that way, that would, I think, work The other thing to keep in mind is that we put transcripts of all the episodes up on the website, hermoney.com. We also put up comprehensive show notes that Catherine takes a lot of care to put together. And hermoney.com is searchable. So if you're looking for a particular resource, you should be able to just go to the website, And search for it, and it should pop up for you.
3: Okay, that's fantastic. Yeah, and I appreciate your point about the specificity. That's one of the things I so appreciate about your podcast. Sometimes there'll be a speaker who's saying something that sounds nice, but it's, you know, kind of vague and nonspecific, and I'll be thinking, okay, but how would I go about that? And then you will say, (laughs) could we dig into some specifics of how people would go about that. So yeah, I appreciate the point about actually putting things on the calendar and kind of having that time. I think you and Catherine had mentioned having a rebalancing podcast and making a plan for that, yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. Suzanne, thank you so much for calling in. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you.
3: Thank you for me as well. And it's just lovely to get to meet you in person. Thank you and the whole team. Thank you for everything you're doing to support us with our financial goals. It's very much appreciated.
1: Well, thanks for being part of our community. Before I move on to our next caller, I also want to remind everyone that her money is supported by BCU. BCU understands that financial freedom doesn't happen at one single point, but rather at many different stages of life. That's why BCU is here today for your tomorrow with support available at every stage of your financial journey. You can learn more about eligibility at bcu.org. Our next and last listener with us for this special episode is Anne. Hey Anne. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thanks. Very excited to meet so many of our listeners. It's it's a treat for me because usually you just put it out there and you hope people are listening, but it's nice to talk to the people who are listening. Tell me a little bit about you and how I can help.
4: Well, first of all, I want to say I love your podcast. I'm a faithful listener, and I wish I had found you sooner. I'm 61, I'll be 62 late next year, and I was downsized and lost my job in the summer. And i I'm have sorry. taken. That's okay, it was actually a good thing. Oh, <laughs> um, good. I'm one of those that, what do they call them, the ones that reevaluated their life during COVID. So um, I was able to work from home for a year and just loved it, and I said I didn't want to go back. So now I'm onto something different. It's a part-time job. I work from home and I make about 31600 a year. Once all of my taxes and bills are paid, paid, including insurance, I'll net about $1,500 a month. I also receive about $1,300 from my partner to share expenses. I'm hoping that this is a feasible plan. It gives me much better work-life balance and much less stress. But of course, it's not going to fund my full income needs in the next few years. I figure I will need to draw about 15 to 20% additionally. And financially, my situation is such that I have $245,000 245,000 in the high yield savings account. I have 750 in retirement accounts. 70,000 approximately is a Roth which I am leaning towards contributing to this year. My house is paid off and worth about 415. I'm not expected to need anything major anytime soon as far as repairs. My vehicle has about 50,000 miles on it and is paid off and I'm basically debt free. My plan is to draw down my cash account in the next few years and wait to draw Social Security until I'm at least 65, hopefully more at full retirement age, which is 67. Once I'm 65, my medical insurance costs, God willing, I remain healthy, should go down, and I can theoretically try to earn more money since I will no longer have to be so mindful of keeping my income low since I am now insured through the marketplace. I'm getting a decent subsidy by keeping my income low. I do worry a bit about drawing down my savings, but even if I took $20,000 for the next six years, that's $120,000, which would still leave me with $120,000 in my cash. For whatever it's worth, I will be receiving a small inheritance of about $65,000 in the next few years. My Social Security of 62 is $1,300 a month. At full retirement age, it's $1,930 a month. And at 70 it's $23.97 a month. I do not plan to touch any of my retirement accounts in the next several years and continue to let them grow. I may pick up a part-time job for cash on the side, but do not want to count that in since it's unknown. Also, aside from this year, I am not sure I will fund a Roth depending on how my savings account looks. I'm trying to live frugally, but I am in need of nothing and I feel very blessed. Does this sound like a safe plan to you? I guess I'm looking for a second opinion. Thanks for listening.
1: Yeah, this sounds like you've really checked all the boxes, actually. The one thing that I am sort of seeing as a potential risk in all of the different expenses that you laid out is the health insurance prior to Social Security and Medicare, right? Right now, the subsidies are really, really generous they've been especially generous the last couple of years. We don't know how long that's going to continue. And so I would just keep an eye on that. Also, you said you think you're going to need about 15 to 20 percent a year. Additionally, you mean thousand dollars, right? Yes, that is what I meant. Sorry about that. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. That's totally fine. I might look to invest some of that money that's in a high yield savings account in order to grab some additional return. So right now, I don't know if you've read anything or heard anything about I bonds. I usually do not recommend you know specific specific investments it's you know for me i'm usually at let's diversify let's make sure your bases are covered let's make sure your asset allocation is correct but right now we've got an opportunity in i bonds for the next year they're paying 7.2% that's guaranteed these are treasury bonds there's nothing safer once we get the inflation reading for the next year they may pay a little bit less, depending on what happens with inflation. I guess if inflation is not transitory and it continues to roll, they may even pay a little bit more. We'll have to see about that. But each person is allowed to put $10,000 a year electronically into iBonds through a treasury direct account that you basically just open online. I might move 10000 a year Into that, at least for the next couple of years. If you need to get at the money, you can't get at it for 12 months. And then at that point, if you need to get it before it's been in there for five years, you'll pay a penalty of three months' interest. But considering what we're earning, i.e., nothing in high yield savings accounts right now, I don't really feel like that penalty is much of a penalty at all. Otherwise, I think you're doing okay. I mean, the only thing I'm looking at is the amount of money that you've got in that high yield savings account, knowing that you don't really need a good 125000 thousand of it at least for the next five years and thinking you could invest that and maybe get a little bit of a greater return.
4: Well, that makes me feel good. <laughs> and I have, yeah. I have been looking at the I-bonds actually. It has um, sparked my interest lately. So I do appreciate that
1: input. I think it sounds good. And, you know, I don't know what your partner's financial situation is, but each person is capped at $10,000. And so if the two of you did it, that's $20,000 and an even greater return. Sure. That's a great return right now. Yeah. Any other follow-ups? I mean, it sounds like you've got it all together. Are you enjoying what you're doing now?
4: I'm loving what I'm doing and my my quality of life is so much better, I have to tell you. You know, at first I'm looking at it like retirement, but it's really kind of more a semi-retirement because I am still working and I am still bringing income in. I'm almost looking forward to getting a little older with the Medicare because that will be a savings for health insurance. That's probably the only good thing about getting older, but yeah, I'm, I'm totally enjoying my life right now. I'm not one of those people that gets bored. I'm, I still have things I wanna do and, and feel like I don't have enough time in the day, so yes.
1: My husband's best friend since he was eight went on Medicare in the last year, and he said it was like getting a big fat raise. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being part of our show. Oh, thank you. I love I love you guys. And thank you for um, taking me. Oh, we love you too. And um, keep us posted. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. And thanks to all of you, our incredible listeners, for not only tuning in to listen to our show, but also calling to speak with me, Megan, Janine, Suzanne, and it was an honor and I am thinking of all of you as we head into 2022. Honestly, as I said at the top of the show, I really like this. I'd love to do more of these shows in the future. So if you'd like to join us for a future episode, please write to us at mailbag at hermoney.com. Catherine will pick your note up and get you scheduled for a future show. We also hope that in the next couple of weeks, you'll take our podcast listener survey. This year's survey is especially important to us because we're asking if you'd like to join our Her Money Council. If interested, you'll become one of our advisors. You'll weigh in on research, events, content, big ideas for the brand, and often have direct lines to the Her Money team. If you're not interested in the council, well, we still want to know what you think. We still want to hear from you because you've helped shape this show since the very beginning, and this year is no different. You'll find the link in the show notes and on the hermoney.com homepage. And finally, if you like what you hear, I hope that you'll take a moment to subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk soon.